kia u ki te aho matua. Hold strong the values of aho matua. Enga mana enga reo enga karangaranga maha o te motu no mai haramai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. Ko Justin Maria Ho, Ko Maraia Rakurakua Ho, this is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. In tonight's broadcast, over this weekend, Te Kurakaupapa Māori o Tamaki Nui Arua, Danny Burke, has celebrated its 20th anniversary. Hari huritau, kia koutou. Um, the key drivers at that time were um, Sharon Paiwa and Tina Todd, who are uh, still heavily involved within the kura. They were both Te Atarangi teachers and they were both working at that time in different schools trying to promote te reo Māori and a Māori world view of teaching to children and parents who wanted that program. She was a pepe, 19 years old, when she was a member of Manawahine troupe Black Cats before moving on to a solo career in the early 90s and making fantastic music videos, System Virtue anyone? Since then, she pops up every now and then, reflecting a chequered musical history she's had, whether it's on a street corner busking or at festivals around the country. We're talking about Emma Pucky. No, I didn't give it up. All that happened was I did... I didn't um, record again. Mm. I lacked management skills because often when you're an artist, you're meant to wear different hats and take care of um, management and publicity and all that sort of stuff, which were my weak points. Emma Paki coming up later on in the show. That's the lineup tonight. Radio New Zealand or PTA, is more commonly known as Cody dieback, and as the name suggests, it's a disease that kills Cody trees. It's non-discriminatory, as in Cody of any age, from saplings to the giants, can die once infected. Symptoms of PTA include yellowing foliage, leaf loss, canopy thinning, dead branches, and even death of the entire tree. The affected trees can develop lesions that bleed resin, extending to the major roots and sometimes girdling the trunk as a collar rot. Now, Justine and I are sounding like the experts here. Kia ora, Department of Conservation website. Now, in the safety of the studio, but I can assure you, I certainly wasn't when I visited Waipawa Forest a few weeks ago, accompanied by Alex and Manos Nathan, who were taking me to their marae, Matatina, within Waipawa. On the way, they called in at the headquarters of the Waipawa Forest Trust, where barefooted, and what Mariah learned on her return to Wellington, legendary forest activist Stephen King greeted them. So these are the houses that you guys bought. Well, well this is one of the houses. That staircase seems a little wonky. <laughs> yeah. oh. Okay. Oh, this looks like you're funny, Stephen. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Gosh, so I've just walked into a room and there's a piano, a TV, DVDs, and a whole range of Cook Island shirts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Alright, so set on top of a trestle table are some plastic plates with to my eye just looks like a whole lot of leaves <laughs> but to an expert's eye is probably various stages of disease is this right uh, they, these are plates of uh, kauri seed and uh, wow is this what the seed yeah, looks yeah, like yeah. so <clears throat> here you go this looks like There's leaves oh, hang on yeah it's just like that it has a can i it touch it yeah 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 well, and actually, to be more precise, to my eyes, it looks a bit like Harino. <laughs> here's one here. See? It has a seed there and a wing here. It's a bit like a pine seed or a sycamore seed. Like a sycamore. See that, see that fly? Yes. It's, it's got a wing on it so that uh, when the seed leaves the cone, it can fly up, up into the sky and travel across <laughs> the forest and land somewhere else and grow oh, that's again. that's cool. And um, all of these plates, there's a couple of dozen of them here, <clears throat> They've got seeds from different trees, and um, um, no, I've got a. <clears throat> these are from different trees that we collect in the forest, and um, uh, some are from ancient trees, some from young trees. It's just to get genetic diversity, and uh, they they're quite different. Even though the seeds are different, some of these seeds are, are very dark, like this fellow here, yes. and some of them are more blonde, like that one there, just yes. brown, and uh, so <clears throat> the uh, seeds express a lot of genetic diversity. The shape of the cones express genetic diversity. The colour of the leaves do. Some trees have blue-green foliage, some have deep green, some pale green. And um, the shape of the tree as it grows is different as well. It's, it's like a human population. And so when it comes so to... So Cody trees are as diverse as people? Yes, very much so. Um, in a nursery, we actually get some plants come up, progeny from Tane Mahuta even, that don't know what up is, and they just grow along the ground. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, in a forest, normally they wouldn't survive, but actually, in a few places in the forest, you can find such plants. Within the gene pool of kauri, you can find an enormous range of expression, and um, uh, I think that those little seedlings will never grow more than a metre high, even when they're an ancient tree. So um, <clears throat> there is hope, I think, that um, when something is thrown at the ecosystem like a disease, that within the population... They will find a way to combat it. Exactly. They will find within that population tough it's... fellows that have their own resistance against such diseases. And um, that's the long-term hope. And that's what's happened with other populations of trees overseas when diseases have hit them. Or with the cabbage tree, for example. Some... 30-odd years ago when there was a big scare with a cabbage tree disease. And, and cabbage trees were dying all over the place. But do we still have a cabbage trees in the landscape? Yes, yes we do. But there's heaps of them. And, um, yeah. yeah. No, so there's heaps of them, though. <clears throat> so, of course, we'd yeah. still have them. Yeah. So, um, with the Cody, I think um, one of the exciting challenges we have is to have a look at the offspring and to see what we can find which trees produce the best <laughs> offspring. <laughs> so um, that's what this is all about here. And we have a nursery with uh, 15,000 young coyote growing there. 
from just a few centimetres high to three metres high, and we're planting them out to create new forest. So now we're going to be a bit more selective, and um, <clears throat> through research and trial, perhaps be able to select out new strains of kauri that, um, that can, can combat these things for the future. Yeah. Now, I can show you a kauri cone. Hang on. Um, a kauri cone, when it's uh, fresh, is round like a golf ball or like a tennis ball, yes. in between the size of those um, two balls. Here's one that's flattened. You know, I have watched too much TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting. Be, be, be very careful. This is, um, it's uh, fragile. It's more than 100,000 years old. It's been preserved in lignite, which is uh, between peat and coal. It's compressed forest. And it's been preserved for that amount of time down by the beach. How do you measure it? And, uh, How are you able to... Our geologists have measured it through um, various types of um, dating. And uh, they know that those sediments down by the beach are of that age. And oh my God, I've just touched something that old. Yeah, we, the, the story of the Cody, in the forest we have these ancient trees that are, are rare on earth. They're the most ancient things here. They're the in most ancient. They are, they are. And they're most ancient living things. And, you know, overseas they have pyramids and things like that. But we have such ancient things here, but they are alive, and that's our heritage. So that's pretty flash. Um, <clears throat> when you look at the story of the Cody, and you are humbled by the the age of these trees, go down to the beach and look in the sand, and you can see stumps, Cody stumps, poking out of the sand. If you go a kilometre out into the ocean and dive down there, you'll see great great swathes of Cody stumps out there from when there were Cody forests Growing, growing out there, a hundred thousand years ago, Hold and um, so the story of the Cody isn't only in the living um, forest; it's on the Fenua, it's down in the Moana. In the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, is that that whole thing about having to adapt? It would have <clears> adapted, but over a long Cody period. Cody has been of around time. for a long time, and um, it's had to face ice ages and. Huge and, and humans, which have just absolutely annihilated the Cody, it's had to face so many things, and now it's facing a new challenge. And um, if we let it, of course, it'll survive, because nature has its own way of healing itself. But um, the challenge in that is for us to be able to um, know how best to care for the forest, and not to um, allow introduced. Um, impacts on the forest to degrade it and um, to give the forest its best, the best chance it has of healing itself and combating these um, new alien invasions on its own terms. Can I touch it? Fish. With that lot wheat sitting in my place. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty hard, Casey. You just hear three seconds and you urge it. <laughs> Do you, now, you know what this is? No, no idea. Listen to that. Beautiful shiny blacks. That's harakeke seed. A whole bucket of harakeke seed. Now we use this for starting off ngahiri. You know, when you, when you plant a new ngahiri, oh, you need something like, like manuka or, or harakeke to uh, kickstart the regeneration. You know, once you've got something on the ground to create a bit of shelter... Then all the other native plants can be brought in by the wind and the birds and start growing.
But you'd never guess what I use this bucket for. For washing your hair? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you're getting closer. <clears throat> no? For bathing it? <laughs> nearly, nearly. Yeah, look, it's like this. Oh, it's like I, a feet. I, it's like you, a foot you put, massage. You put your foot in it, and it's a foot massage. It feels absolutely amazing. Oh, wow, wonderful. It feels amazing <clears throat> with the, just putting your hands on look it. At that. I had a whole pile of Japanese people here. And they thought this was the most wonderful thing they'd come across. It felt so good. Best foot massage they'd ever had. You sell that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Can I put my feet in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. Oh, my goodness. We'll make a nice pillow if you oh. stuffed a pillow with it. God, look at you. You've got buckets of stuff all over the place. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey? Yeah, see, this, this one is for here. the feet. <laughs> this is for the hands. This is for the face. Oh my goodness, it's divine. So I was talking about, <coughs> I was talking about Manuka, and Manuka is a friend of the Kauri because if the if the forest is smashed, burnt, destroyed, the first tree to heal the land is Manuka, and no wonder the honey is so good for healing. You know that's the whole role of the Manuka. It's a healing plant, and um, I've got a jar here. <coughs> In that jar, see the fine manuka seed? Yes. Have a guess how many manuka seeds in there. Oh. <laughs> hey, I didn't even think that was 100,000 years old. What chance have I got with that? Okay, 100,000. 14 million. Oh. Just in there. <laughs> so. How do you know this? <laughs> oh, well, I get volunteers. Seven, please I get, tell me you can count it. I get volunteers to count them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> so what size is that jar? <clears throat> Ah, oh, that's about five litres. And there's 14 million... Monica seeds Monica in there. seeds in there. And if I... Careful, don't oh, touch that oh, egg. Oh, yep, yep. Is there an egg in there? Yeah, don't touch. It's very rare. It's a kākāpō egg. So that little... Those seeds would be the size of... The, I mean, a pinhead would be bigger. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, It yeah. just looks like fine dust. Yeah, you could fit them on the end of the pinhead. Fit a pile of them on the end of a pinhead. Oh, wow. We had, um, when we did this, um, gathered the seed for that replanting over there, we had, I think it was 200 litres, a 200 litre container full of Monica seed. <laughs> it was almost a billion, it was almost a billion seeds. And uh, <clears throat> the Fano. Hand, hand, hand scattered them across the land out here. Perhaps a good time to go and have a look yeah. and talk about it. So those are all the... Um, so as I stand on the deck of the whare, those are all those lines I can see, right? <laughs> oh, gee, you need a bit of a blink yeah, and a... Yeah, yeah. What is it? Um, yeah. What a blasting! Yep. <laughs> so that's what all those lines here are in the yeah, landscape just in front of me, Stephen. See the main forest over there? That's the Waipawa forest, yes. which was um, saved through a public campaign to stop the logging and because uh, the government were cutting it down. So is that protected and it forever? That's all protected, yes. <coughs> all the land in the foreground here, this whole valley, was acquired um, by our trust to protect it. It was farmland. And just 12 years ago, all this forest down the valley here was actually farmland and we planted in Manuka. Gosh, look how fast the whenua rejuvenates itself, eh? It's wonderful to see, isn't it? Yeah, it's fast. Because is it dairying? 
No, it oh, would have been if we hadn't bought it by now, probably. It was just yeah. beef and sheep. Yeah, they do a damage, eh? When you have a forest like this, um, it's very important to try and create natural boundaries. And this is the upper catchment, the watershed of the forest. And so we wanted to give it natural boundaries and put Ngahere back into the entire catchment so that the forest itself had more integrity, not only to look at, but to survive. Because um, when you have uh, other people living there, houses, gardens, there, there you get sources of weeds. Weeds invade the forest. Animals. Um, yep, animals. Dogs and cats. Uh, dogs and cats are a big problem. So um, by restoring this and protecting it, we're giving the whole forest a better future. Now with the, um, that replanting, have you noticed an increase in birds? Uh, yes, already we've had um, increase in kiwi numbers. We are doing pest control here. You can hear kiwi from the deck at night here. Just There's a pair living there, a pair just living over there, another pair just over there. We found a young chick just over this valley here three days ago. Um, and what was really exciting was to see the fern birds, how fast they came and colonised the, the land. Just after three years when we had bracken and manuka growing, we had fern birds living, and I've get, had fern birds walking up the driveway here. And you can travel for hundreds of miles. What are fern birds? Well... They're a bird that um, is not very common now. They, they live in swampy and scrubby country. And like kukikul. They look like a little sparrow or look like a little um, uh, skylark, but they have a, a shaggy tail. The interesting thing, thing about them is that they don't fly very far, and they live in thick vegetation, so they keep in touch with each other through their voice. And the male and the female talk to each other all day long, every few minutes or seconds. They just say, like that, I'm here, yep, I'm over here, I'm here, yep, I'm over there, I'm here, here I am, yeah, okay. I can, I've heard you, I'm over here, yep, I'm just here, I'm still here, like that. And they call it antiphonal duetting, and um, it's a good way to keep in communication when you've got thick vegetation. But most of our little birds like that that can't fly very well became extinct over 100 years ago, like the native quail. This one has survived because... He's always on the lookout, you know. <laughs> He's stopping and, 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 and chatting every Something few seconds. And, and that's, that's a good strategy because you're actually a little bit more aware of things like stoats and rats. The other thing is that they live in, th in thick, dense vegetation that stoats and rats just can't get through. So thumbs up for those fellas. They're pretty, pretty smart. Now I'd just like to share with you all that um, I have some really nice harakeke seed on my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's massaging my toes as I'm talking to you. <laughs> Is that okay? Are you going to take some tororo or harakeke down to where are you going to? <laughs> uh, down to Wellington. Oh, look, this is lovely. <laughs> Jumping back into the car with Manos and Alex Nathan, this time with Stephen King as a passenger, we travelled a few kilometres up the road to see for ourselves the effect of PTA or Cody dieback. Yeah, just 100 metres head here, I want you to have a look at um, a tree that's looking very sick. And um, it's growing on a site where the roots have been affected by roadworks in the past and um, cleared around at the back. Just down here, turn, stop on this bend just before you hit the bend. And you can just turn to the left here slightly. Oh, okay. Just in there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We'll get out and have a look. In the car, out the car. Right. So Stephen, I just heard you say not to walk 
on any wet ground but to stay on the metal. Now, is this to prevent dispersal it's of just something? So you're not picking up dirt and mud and transporting mud from a site that might be contaminated to somewhere else in the forest. Right. And uh, it's very, very important. Uh, you can see how sick this tree is. How? It's, uh, well, 80% of its leaves are gone and it's looking yellow and it's got brown bits on it as well. And that's, it's lost half of its foliage just in the last year. And um, that tree looks like it's going to die. looks like it's got about another two years left. See, to my and, eyes, yeah. that tree just looks like it's a bit old. Uh, no, he's a young tree. And he's, just, he's, he's a young tree that's just suddenly gone downhill. So by young, um, how old are we talking? Uh, it would only be about two, three hundred years old. Very young tree. And um, the thing is, is that this tree has already had its root system severely impacted by past works, road works, <coughs> clearing around it. And um, in fact, you can see around the other side, there's um, a retaining wall only a metre away from the base of its trunk. So this is an extreme example, but if you go into Trouncenkari Park, um, you can see there many trees that are dead um, along an old track. And I recall in 1978 advising the Lands and Survey Department not to put a metal track in there. They went ahead and did it because they wanted it to look nice and look like a national park. And 15 years later, the, the then Conservation Department staff came and asked me, and they said, well, can you tell us what's wrong with our trees? Why are they dying? And sure enough the trees were dying and now there's a complete line of dead trees and they've had to close the track because every tree along that track is dead and that is simply because of the design of the track gravel tracks, compaction that's not what kauri roots were designed for they're designed to breathe and grow in humus so <clears throat> we need to invest in upgrading our tracks to boardwalks so that we're taking our feet off the ground not, not trampling those roots and um, we also need to invest in getting rid of pigs in the forest because um, <coughs> pigs in a pine plantation might, do, might be fine, but pigs in a, in a kauri forest are no good. Our, our ngāhere was not designed to have mammals in it. And what pigs do is that they do two things. They, they dig up the roots, plough up the roots, and then once the feeding roots are exposed and ripped apart, the trees become vulnerable. They have nothing to feed with. And I've seen 600-year-old trees die after being rooted around by pigs. Um, the pigs also spread the Phytophthora disease in their gut. So <clears throat> they're the number one issue we need to deal with if we want to return the Ngāhere back to its natural state so that the trees can begin to look after themselves. Stephen, if they're carrying it around in their gut, it's mm. on the inside. Mm. So how does that get... Well, apparently this um, disease in its spore form survives well in a pig gut and it can be transported and then reinfect somewhere else. Oh, so if the pig dies? Oh, no, it's... just when it has a tickle somewhere else in the ngahere, oh, right. then um, the spores are transported somewhere else. So then apart from feet transporting the spores, human feet, yes. can, can the spores go into human airways <laughs> or...? No, it's only uh, transported um, in soil on, in mud, basically. So um, it's not transported in the air. Manaya Rakuraku with Stephen King, Manos and Alex Nathan of the Waipoa Forest Trust. And there have been a range of proposals recommended to prevent the spread of Cody dieback, or PTA, because, as you heard there, it's largely through foot traffic.
Next week, I'm back at Waipawa with Heranga Tirarakau, one of the giants, as Manos Nathan calls him, Tane Mahuta, and getting another perspective, this time, from Komatua Daniel Ambler on PTA Cody Dieback Disease. Ko marae rakraku tōku ingoa. Ko Justin Maria Ho, ko tēnei te hōtaka a te ahika. After the establishment of Kohangareo in the 1980s, it became apparent that, as those babies moved through the education system from five years old, ensuring retention of te reo Māori required a parallel schooling system immersed i te reo rangatira. Which saw the creation of te kura kaupapa Māori and wharekura. Then, as those students finished secondary schooling, the same challenge appeared. How does te reo Māori teaching and kaupapa Māori thinking carry on at a tertiary level? And that saw the creation of te whare wānanga, or wānanga Māori. Alternative choices for all to learn subjects either in te reo Māori, but with a definite kaupapa Māori basis. Now, this is a rather simplified history of what was and continues to be an evolving process, which owes its creation and maintenance to a variety of people, legislature, and is always confronting challenges. The Waitangi Tribunal hearing involving the Kohangareo, for instance, has recently gone through its most trying times since its establishment in 1982. And an upcoming Tiahika will feature a more in-depth look into that. But back to Kurakopapa Māori and a success story, well, a milestone reached really, which took me to Danny Virk. Welcome to our Kurakopapa Māori. Uh, you know, it's a pretty little kura, little rural kura, nestled under the wing of our marae, Mākeriki marae, Aotea Tuatoru, uh, Tupuna. Um, but should we go for a bit of a walk? Yeah, yeah, let's go for a hikoi. I will hold your microphone for you. Danny Virk or its Māori place name, Tamaki Nui Arua. I'm at the only Kurukaupapa Māori school in the area, the Kurukaupapa Māori or Tamaki Nui Arua. On May 25th, the school celebrated their 20th anniversary over this weekend. I'm at the school's Tumaki principal, Brian Paiwai. How long did it take to construct this uh, complex? Uh, this complex here took, it was about in 2005, 2006, we completed what you see in front of you today. But I would say it was 20 years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> as simple exactly. as that. But I would say, you know, I see it as a continuation of the dreams of our tūpuna uh, e i tēnei wā tonu. You know, i haratu mea he ririki e mātou i yeah. We're not different than what not they were. We're yep. uh, we're the same people with the same dreams, and uh, from the same gene pool, basically. <laughs> yeah. And you know, funny enough, when I look around, I know you know the old old past sites where we're on the the land that our people were on. And it's what about maybe what? How long did it take to get here? What two three minute drive from the main town of Denny Yep. Yeah. Yep. But so I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's, I mean, I can't complain. <laughs> right. So if we get here. Uh, so here we are at the entrance to the school. This is in memory of Bob Friora and Kafia Moana. And so, how many classrooms there? It seems to be quite a few classrooms there as we stand in front. Okay, so in the primary school, we've got five classrooms and we've named them after the. There are a lot of uh, mountain ranges that surround us, smaller and bigger ones. So, if, if you go in a circle from left to right as we're standing, it's Pairo, which are where our Nohi Nohi are. Raikatia, 
which is the next class up. Waiwaipa, which is a mountain range out over here. Pukitoi, which is another mountain range bigger than that over there, which is where our sort of mid to senior school is. And then Ruahine is our senior school of the primary section. And then, so there are five classrooms there. Then we go over into the Farikura, and there are essentially three classrooms. So the Māori language, Rangitane, social studies area with Matua Manahi in charge. We have the maths and the science, Matua Nick Vela in charge, and he's one of our key po, uh, right from the instigation, still here with us. Yeah. And uh, over on the other side is Aotea Sports Club, and we have our English room over there because the school site itself is a Māori-speaking Aye, zone. It's a kotereo Māori ana ki te reo. Kotereo Māori te um, I guess if I looked at the whakapop of the Kuruko Māori in terms of survival of te reo Māori, it looks something like Tata Rangi came here and we're, we're trying to get the language going again in the district. At that time, there were about six people left in Danivik who still spoke Māori. Which period are you talking about? Uh, we're talking back in uh, 1980s. So we're talking at the beginning of the 1980s. Uh, so we're Tata Rangi and then the Kuhanga Reo movement sprung from that here in Danivik and then... As what generally happens, uh, parents from then started to ask the question, where do our children go now? And from that, we bloomed into a little Kuruko Māori small school of only 16. They would have been the kids of the, some of the parents that were there. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, definitely. And they were all ages, like they were little ones, and then were ones right up to 16, 17. Um, the key drivers at that time were um, Sharon Pai and Tina Todd, who are uh, still heavily involved within the Kura. They were both Tātārangi teachers and they were both working at that time in different schools trying to promote te reo Māori and a Māori world view of teaching to children and parents who wanted that programme. So on the 25th of May in 1992, they left their two little schools and they started a brand new school. Uh, they had consultation with various people. One of the groups was the Runanganuyo Orangitāne who gave them the name, Kutakurako Māori or Tamaki Nuiarua, uh, and away they went with 16 students in tow, <laughs> according to Sharon. Uh, they were picking them up as they were going along, yeah, and yeah, yeah. that was the conception of the kura uh, as a, a unique entity within itself. In the very early days, it was about planting the seed. It was just gathering the group together and putting them in one spot with one kaupapa. And we had wonderful kaumātua, wonderful, wonderful, Bob Fitiura no Tainui Waka, Kafia Moana, uh, Teresa Chase and her husband Herb, who's passed away now, uh, Fire Wynn, who's still with us, Nani Motu. We had all these um, kaumātua that were really passionate who were the backbone of the kaupapa. And so the seed was planted in that sort of fertile, loving, aroha wairua. And I think that was, you know, incredible. And then, but the people involved, um, you know, they were mums and dads and they were passionate, but they were still looking for a, a robust curriculum program to deliver what they wanted. Um, the ministry eventually came on board and about a year later, they gave them a status of a kuras, an official school of New Zealand. And from there began the idea of building buildings appropriate for a school. Um, eventually, they settled on a place right next to the marae, Aotea Makirikiri Marae, 
the Whare's Aotea Tua Toru. Uh, just a bit of a historical link. Mm. Aotea was the name of the marae who belonged to a tūpuna Tarangi Whakaewa. His was the original house out uh, close to one of our Pātū Watawata Rai Kāpua. And in the end of the 1880s, the Ngāti Mutuahi people of Rangitani wanted to build a house. So they built one at um, Tahoraiti, where they were living, and they named it Aotea in remembrance of his house because he had mana whenua. Right. And then that house was then moved in 1967 over to where it is today on Kiri Road. And then the school has found itself about 200 metres away. Um, and we face the, uh, our whare tūpuna. Uh, and so when that was built two years later, in 1994, uh, and it was opened by Te, te Ru Farihuka, no Taranaki, no Parihaka, um, on a windy, blustery day. <laughs> that was the beginning of the kura and its dreams to turn itself into a robust visionary program for the revival and the survival of Te Reo Māori, of Rangitani Kaupapa, and an aim to 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 get successful outcomes for our children that they weren't getting in the area. You know, mm. they were struggling. They were in the mainstream schools, and it's nothing against them, but it mm. was that formula wasn't working. The whānau sort of asked me to come back and teach in the school because there weren't many teachers. So you were based in Taranaki at the time. Yes, I was. I was chasing my wife, Anna Edwards, as she's listening. <laughs> in Taranaki land and uh, one of their puhi. So, and she'd started a uh, kuruko Māori back in Taranaki called Te Pihi Pihinga. Um, and so she was really um, of that ilk of Sharon and Tina, those sorts of pioneers, uh, movers and shakers that had a vision for their children. And so... You know, she she was really encouraging me to yeah. get back in support, so we did. Um, back then, we didn't really have a marautanga. I can remember a beach got stranded up on, uh, out at uh, Wainui in one of our... Uh, a whale. A oh, whale, yeah. yeah, tohara. And then that was the kaupapa. You know, something happened around the motu, something happened close. That became the, the fundamental curriculum program for us. So it wasn't like we had maths and science and how we see it today. It was more like what was happening. Although we had a clear Māori vision about what we were, wanted to do, it wasn't really articulated. And when Te Ahumatua came about, we were very quick to grab that and use that hei tua papa mō tō papa. Mm. And it has been a wonderful document for it. It's not, uh, it's not rigid and says that you do it like this, A, B, C, and it goes like that. It's more like a values based position, a wairua based position that most schools, Māori based schools can, um, you know, use that as an umbrella or as a whāriki for everything else. Te Ahumatua are the principles in which Kura Kaupapa Māori, Māori language schools operate under. Now there are six parts, the following is only a summary. Te ira tangata, the nature of the child and their physical and spiritual well-being. Te reo, a focus towards fostering the Māori language. Ngā iwi, a child learning about their social surroundings, their iwi and their hapu. Te ao, to encompass teachings about their experiences within a kura environment, the Māori world 
and the wider world itself. Ahuatanga Ako, the learning environment within the kura, including peer-to-peer support, teacher-student support, outdoor and in-class studies. And Te Tino Uaratanga, the assessment and evaluation of the achievement of the student. Um, so here we are today in 2012, uh, the sun's shining here in Danivik, <laughs> and, and I guess what, what we're thinking on our 20th birthday that the sun will be shining. The day the school was opened out there, Terufari Huka, no Taranaki, no Parihaka, Mihineiki Aratau, it was just a storm, you know, it was just a wicked, wicked day. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, boy, golly, this doesn't look like a very good tohu. Uh, You're but, talking about the opening of the Farikura? Yeah, I'm talking about the opening of the Kura on its current site on Makirikiri Road. So that was just a shocking, shocking <laughs> We had this, our ahika. Now, the ahika, for the ahika, we got the embers from the uh, Makirikiri out at the uh, kitchen there. Uh, the Kuririrangi is the name of the Farikai. We got the embers from there. We brought them over. We had a big 40 fully gallon drum. We put them in there. We lighted the fire. Arakwatahi Kaateri Modium Mike. Tuku Karakia, Teru Farihuka. But I remember that day, it was that cold. Everybody was just around this 44 gallon drum, and the, it was just beautiful and warm. I would say it was a, a windy, blustery, shocking, <laughs> shocking day. And, and people who know Danivik. Danivik people know cold, and this was one of our coldest days. Uh, we were surrounded by the Ruahine Rangers, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you, it was a shocking day. But the Wairua was incredibly warm and very positive. When we started here, right through from the beginning to now, we've had incredible support from a lot of people. The Ministry of Education have always been incredibly supportive of us, even only in little ways, but they've always been there. Um, the local community... Māori mai, Pākehā mai. You know, I get these Pākehā kaumātua coming in. They bring me books. They bring me, you know, uh, they provide things. I've got a guy, Jeff Stevenson. He's going to bring me some plants because we want to, we used to plant, a, this used to be known as Te Tāpiri Nui Awhātonga, which was a huge expanse of bush here, and we're trying to re-establish parts of it. And the guy, Jeff Stevenson, he's coming in this week to bring me some plants and things. But there are examples of not just Māori people providing support for this critter, but a, a, a lot of different people have just put up their hand and said, hey, there's something happening out there. We can help. Mm. And then that's been really, uh, really awesome. I mean, it's easy for people to throw stones at you. And sometimes, you've, you know, we've had more of a case of people just quietly coming in, unpretentious, giving us something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> that's been wonderful. Kia ora. Kia ora, Brian. Oh, now, there's one other thing. I, I would be very remiss. Our Nanny Noor Nicholson. Nanny Noor Nicholson has been a po for this kura. Mai tōna tīmatatanga. Nā tēnei tete o ngā kue morehu, nui ona honunga, uh, ki ngā iwi katoa Aotearoa. Engari, kei konei tonu i e noho ana tēnei kue, oh, Nanny Noor, reo Māori, uh, wahini kue maia, a tāhua, uh, ko noho ia hei whakaruruhau uh, mō tō mātanei kura. Kā rua, he kaunihira kaumātua o te takiwā nei. Kia ora, kia ora. Uh, kei tuatū ki te rau ngā kōrero, uh, kia, kia, ki te tumuaki, kia koe Brian uh, Paiwai, he mihi tēnei uh, kia koe mō tō meki, tō koha uh, ki te iwi whānui, ara kia koutunga kai whakarongo o te ahika. Kia ora. Nei rātou mihi kia koe e hoa. Uh, ko Brian Pawaitene, mihia tu uh, ki tāo whānui, rā, 
no tane waka hau te puanau i tēnei takiwa pērana hoki tōku pāpa te nungo o ku tūpuna norei ko tēnei taku uh, papakainga taku kaipō. Kia ora and congratulations. For photos of Justin's visit, head to radioNZ.co.nz forward slash te ahikā. And while there, click onto the photo gallery, Facebook link. There's a range of ways you can contact us. One of them is by email, te ahikā at radioNZ.co.nz. When it's been a few years between visits, Justine, what's the first thing you say to a person when you see them? First thing I say is probably, how you been? Like, how you been? Or what you, what you been up to? What have you been up to? Or then there's the whole, hoo, which is Māori code for, geez, girl, you put on the beat. <laughs> or a couple of times I've heard, got a bit of snow on that moment, which is in reference to having a few more grey hairs than usual. More grey hairs. Um, and, well, really, that way is all acknowledging um, that time has passed between visits. I know I haven't seen my really good friend for about 12 years. But Facebook helps, kinda. <laughs> Which brings us to Emma Pucky, whose musical career has really been an example of time passing between visits. Well, that's with extreme accolades coupled with moments of what some in the industry call self-sabotage. But then the music business is littered with examples of that. There's the tragic ones. The real tragic ones. International artists like Whitney Houston, Amy Winehouse, Sid Vicious... Michael Jackson. And then there's those who, because of their sheer talent, tenacity, whānau, support, claw it all back. So some of New Zealand examples are Martin Phillips of Chills fame, Head Like a Hole. Then there's Emma Pucky. It's been two years since her last official album and I caught up with her in our Where Are They Now segment to wrap up New Zealand Music Month. Black Cats, yes, the very um, the legendary Black Cats. And uh, tell us about the music that you produced or that you sung uh, when you were with the, the Black Cats, Emma, because this was this was all um, before anything, before System Virtue, before Greenstone, near. It was like kazapa, kind of he- healing music, you know. Um... And so being part of the Black Cats um, at the time, Emma, did that give you um, a sense of your own um, mana motuhake or tino rangatiratanga? There was a lot of love in the Māori women's movement and it was really nurturing and loving and lovely. And what was kind of happening out there, like uh, there there were gangs. A lot of us were involved in gangs and and stuff, you know, like um, the mob and the blacks and a lot of our men were like... um, and pain themselves, they, they'd been abused through, you know, like, um, we were kind of war-torn, like our kudos mm. were war-torn, and sometimes they had to go work with um, their injuries, and that they survived the system here. When I wrote System Virtue, a lot of our men were in jail. And, you know, a lot of us were were suffering and like if our men suffered mm. or our women suffered we we bore the brunt and our children the children bore, bore the brunt you know so that, that name in itself is, was a positive take on the, the saying system sucks which is I felt was a, a negative 
affirmation to pull our people down, you know. So that's why I came up with that concept, System Virtue. Kia ora, Emma. After you released System Virtue, you formed a relationship with former Crowded House member Neil Finn. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well, his wife, Sharon, was uh, my manager's at the time, best friend. Right. And we went off for a holiday at their beach batch at, at uh, Mount Maranui. It was a New Year's, New Year's Eve thing. Me and Sharon were doing the dishes the next morning, and she said, oh, I, I said to her, oh, do you want to hear the new song of it? And I sang it to her while we were doing the dishes, and <laughs> she um, said, oh, you know, to go and sing it to uh, Neil while he was outside in a quiet moment. Right. And so I did, and he wanted to produce it. But eventually you parted ways. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we used to kind of, you know, hang out or for those few years, and yeah, the the manager Nigel Horrocks, we, you know, he worked with me for five years. He did amazingly well. You know, we did a what amazing, amazingly well during that five years, and yeah, we we parted, and I just cruised on through the and put in the van and just went around the countryside performing um, gigs at cafes and stuff. Yeah, and even working in cafes. Yeah, I did that because I was trying trying to stay off the doll. So Emma, I mean that was in the early days of your of your uh, music career. We talked about System Virtue released ninety ninety three Greenstone nineteen ninety four. Uh, then we had um, of of recent times we've had uh, Century Sky two thousand and five and now Trinity. Yeah, that was released in two thousand and ten um, October. And Century Sky is about hundred years. The likes of Tracy Tafiol, um, along with Dam Native, Bikrunga and Tony Strong, did they come together for this? Yeah, they just all had a go at doing what they they do, uh, you know, contributing yeah. what they could to it. There was a period in there where I've read reports, I mean, people described you as you went into exile. Would you, would you say that was true? You kind of gave up the music for a bit? No, I didn't give it up. All that happened was I, did, I didn't... Um, record again. Mm. I lacked management skills because often when you're an artist you're, you're meant to wear different hats and take care of um, management and publicity and all that sort of stuff where, which were my weak points. I'm just an artist. Um, yeah. I talked to um, Marie Sheehan, uh, Emma, who was another artist that, um, you know, did, did, did her, uh, uh, created music in the 90s on a mainstream level. And um, I was talking to her about whether it's easier now than in your day, in the, in the early 90s, to, to be an artist and to make music given the, the funding avenues and technology. What would you say to that? You can kind of re- record a and record visual and audio with a prof- 
professional without having to go in a studio elsewhere or, you know, pay a lot of money for it. Yeah, it's much more accessible now, but with that, you've got a great big huge flood. Like, the market is really full of um, stuff going viral. Yeah. Lots and lots, loads and loads of music music out there now. So, Emma, um, today, 2012... The last album or the last EP was uh, two years ago. Um, where do you call home now and what have you been up to this year? Yeah, I'm recording right now and um, um, stuff I've written over about 30 years. Um, and I'm composing, taking care of myself. And, and you don't want to say we're homers. I never have. <laughs> <laughs> You're an undercover musician, yeah. Um, hey, Emma, Emma Paki, no Ngati Awa, born, uh, raised in Whakatane. Thank you uh, so much for availing your time uh, here on Te Ahika and um, all the best for the composing and the songwriting. Kia ora rā. Kia ora, yeah, and National Radio, my favourite station. Kia ora. Emma Paki, no Ngati Awa, talking with Justine about her early days with Black Cats and her musical career to date. Now, Black Cats actually was a launching pad for a few Māori woman musicians, Ngātai Huata, Katarina Pipi, Kui Wano, Henewehimohi. And these are all wahine Māori who have gone on to have long-standing musical careers. Now, to listen to that show again or get in contact with us or any feedback we love hearing from you go to our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika Anita Brian Paiway with this week's Whakatauki the, I would say the school motto I mean, we haven't actually said it on it but what we sort of as a vision statement is kia u ki matua so we don't lose sight of our values and our spiritual base and when tāho matua came about we were very quick to grab that and use that hei tua papa mō tō papa and it has been a wonderful document for it it's not uh, it's not rigid and says that you do it like this ABC and it goes like that it's more like a values based position, a wairua based position that most schools, Māori based schools can, um, you know, use that as an umbrella or as a whāriki for everything else. Next week, we'll bring you highlights from my trip to Hawera last week to the Aotearoa Kapahaka Regionals and you'll get a fly on the wall experience of what training for Kapahaka comps means with Aotearoa Utanganui. And I check out a breast screening clinic at Waipukuro. Hey, and shout outs to Chris CK, whose book Rahui took out the Best Children's Picture Book Award at the New Zealand Post Book Awards 2012. Now you can hear the interview we did with him prior to the awards at our website radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Nā mihi mahana ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. He mihi anō ki nga kai rā wiki wiki mihini. Mai te whānau a te ahika, kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora.